We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 224. I think we all can agree that riding is a series of highs and lows, and it's really how you get through those low moments that shape you and make you the equestrian you are. Our guest today is a California-based dressage rider. He was on the Olympic team for dressage this last year in Tokyo, and he really has shown some amazing resilience through any setbacks, injury with both him and his horses, and he has come out on top and positive and ready for anything. So without further ado, please welcome our guest, Nick Wagman. Well, I would love to hear all about how you got to the success you're at today, but first, tell me how you first found yourself in the horse world. Gosh, that was a long time ago. (laughs) Uh, um, I don't actually come from a horsey family, although my aunt, uh, rode or still rides, but rode a dressage way back when I was probably nine years old. Um, and I had no idea what dressage was, let alone a horse, but we would go out and visit her. And I just had this kind of direct connection with her horse. And I've always been an animal lover, dogs and cats, but then the horse came along and I just was really drawn to it. Um, so that was my first taste of, of kind of being around a horse and, and then dressage, which later on obviously became my passion. Um, but then I started going to summer camp and at summer camp, they had every activity in the world, including horseback riding. And I just like, didn't want to leave the horses. And so I finally got special permission to kind of spend half my days at summer camp with the horses. And then it turned into full days and I was just drawn to it. And so then I asked my parents for a horse. And of course they looked at me like I was crazy and, uh, said, you know, if you, take some lessons and stick to it for a year, we'll consider it. Cause at that point I tried everything. I tried track and field. I tried soccer. I tried gymnastics. I tried swimming and I just never stuck with anything. And so I think they thought they were safe. And oh, um, yeah, they're anyway, like, oh, we're good. Right, 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 right. But a year to the day I was like, okay, I did a year of horseback riding lessons. Where's my horse. And that's amazing. That's kind of how it started. And so my parents did, they got my first $400 pony. And uh, that's how it all started. Wow, that is so cool. Um, Obviously, you were exposed to different types of riding, but we're always drawn to dressage. Mm -hmm. What, what, What is it about dressage that you feel like makes you so drawn to it and love it so much? You know, I, I fell into dressage accidentally. Obviously, I knew a little bit just because of my aunt, but we got a bit. My first horse was an Arabian and uh, I was doing hunter jumpers at the time. And uh, when I showed up with my Arabian, they were like, they can't jump and she certainly can't jump. So I don't know what you're going to do. And they said, why don't you go talk to the dressage trainer over there? And that's just kind of how I started my dressage career. Um, and then I just got hooked. And I think just for my personality, I'm, I'm a perfectionist, which is a good and a bad thing. But uh, I just really loved the fact that you had to be so precise and and so thoughtful and had and had to figure out puzzles with your horse and and every day it was just little tiny epiphanies and breakthroughs and at that time I had no idea what I would be doing you know 30 40 years later down the road 
but I just, I think just with my personality, I'm just drawn to the precision and the intricacy of what dressage is and the relationship you have to develop with your horse. I know one of your current horses that you've had a ton of success on, Don John, DJ, you've described in past interviews as very hot and electric. Uh, Can you tell me a little bit about what it's like working with him or hot horses in general and kind of what are some strategies that you use to kind of work that energy into your favor and kind of develop that relationship? Sure, sure. Well, Don John in particular is is by far... Uh, one of the hottest and and most powerful horses I've I've ridden myself, and I've ridden quite a few. And there's just something pretty unique about the motor that's underneath him. So it's been you know it's been a a journey. And he and he wasn't the most trusting horse when we got him as a five year old, uh, not because he had been handled incorrectly. It's just his nature to be just a little bit uh, defensive. And so taking that personality trait of his and the hotness combined, you know, we really had to adapt a program with him more than any other horse that I have. We have developed a system of how we get him ready, how we tack him up, what I do prior to getting on. And it was definitely through trial and error because I've had two bad falls from him in the mounting of him department. And um, so knock on wood, we've, we've sorted that all out. And I have to say, you know, once you can get a horse like that to trust you, and 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 put that energy in your favor it's exactly what we all need at the top level of the sport so it's definitely been a uh you know not just a dressage journey but also a psychological journey getting him to feel safe and comfortable enough to to go into the situations we ask them to go into and then perform like he does so definitely i mean it absolutely seems like the the effort and the tough days were worth it in the long run you did have some pretty uh, severe falls on him in the beginning. How was that for you? Like as you were kind of navigating that and finding your confidence in him, because I feel like with situations like that, it's so natural and easy to have that shake your confidence. Absolutely, and you know, and I, I've fallen. You know, of course, in my span of my career, I've fallen a bunch of times, and yeah, um, but never to the point where I was was injured to the level that I was. And, and the first time it happened on DJ, it was when we first got him as a five-year-old and, and we just didn't know him well enough. And, and I took it for granted and we, we tacked him up and girthed him up and I just got on and uh, took one step forward and I went flying through the air. And wow. so you, you, you have something like that and then you chalk it up to, okay, you know, we, we didn't know this horse well enough. It certainly wasn't malicious. He just is girthy let's heal and get back on. And, and yes, your confidence gets a little bit rattled simply because I did, you know, get a compression fracture in my back, which was a new thing for me, but I healed great. And then you fast forward, you know, I think it was probably three years after that. And we were competing at a CDI at pre-St. George, getting ready to go in and try to qualify for a major championship. And it happened again. And exactly the same scenario. I just happened to be in a shad belly this time. And I, and I, and he bucked me off at the mounting process of it. And that's this time I really hurt myself again, broke ribs, broke my arm and coming back from that one. Yeah, it did. It really, it really took a toll on my confidence. And again, not because I ever thought what he did was malicious. It's just when you are that out of control and that moment, that feeling of such power launching you that many feet into the air, your brain starts going, maybe we shouldn't do this again. And, mm-hmm. you know, and so, so it was a real personal struggle um, to get back to the point where I am at now. And uh, 
I don't know. People said, why would you get back on Donjon? And I said, because one, it was never done as, as malicious. And two, he's one of those horses of a lifetime and, and we're going to make it work, but it certainly wasn't a straight line. And it certainly is a daily struggle. I would say to, to, to work through some of that anxiety still. What advice would you give to someone who's experiencing maybe a lack of confidence, whether it's after a fall or they're maybe just like a rut in a rut with their riding in order to kind of help bring themselves out of it? Uh, gosh, well, I think, I think being in a rut is a very, very, very familiar theme that most dressage riders get stuck in because it is just such a, uh, challenging sport on so many levels. So I think, I think just from the advice of somebody who's been there a million times, even at, even at the level I'm at now, we still have those moments where you're just like, gosh, I feel stuck. Why are we not getting past this hurdle? And, mm-hmm. and the truth is there's no better way to get through it than to, to, to refresh, to have a positive attitude and, and sometimes just get us, get another idea or, or, but just don't give up. I, th- I think that's the, that's as cliche as it sounds these are horses. And, and if there's nothing physically preventing them from getting past what you're, you're struggling with, you'll get there with the right help and the right, and the right attitude and the hard work. Um, from the psychological standpoint of, of getting over fear, uh, for me personally, you know, I worked with a sports psychologist, but for me personally, it was having somebody that I felt comfortable talking to when I was having those moments of not certain, being certain if I could get back on the horse or wanting to quit or, or feeling the fear get the better of me. And then it's not always easy, especially when you're a trainer to feel comfortable being that vulnerable. So I had to find a few people in my life that I re- that really knew what I was dealing with. And those are the people I turned to when I was struggling. And that's for me, what got me through it all for sure. I feel like that's kind of the the beauty and the challenge of our sport that it is it can be a part of our lives for decades so we can be a part of it at a high level which is great that you have the opportunity to do a lot within the sport but it's also it you can find yourself in a rut very often and feel stuck and it's I always tell my clients it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I feel like in this sport is so true that um, you have to just keep going after it, even, you know, on days or weeks or seasons of time where um, it just feels like you are stuck or not progressing like you would hope. Absolutely. Absolutely. When I was, there was a a Dutch rider that, that uh, ended up having quite a famous dressage horse. And in interviews, she would say, people told me to give up on this horse that he would never be a Grand Prix horse because he could never learn how to passage. And she said, if I'd given up one day sooner, I never would have known he could have passaged. And she went on to be on the Olympic team, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's just that those little things stick in the back of my head, right? You just don't give up. And, and cause tomorrow might be the day when it, when, when you have that breakthrough. Let's fast forward a little bit because obviously you regain some amazing confidence because you continued to have really great success with DJ. And while you were preparing for the 2020 Olympics at the time, DJ suffered an injury that had to kind of end your, your process of your campaign for the Olympics. Tell me a little bit about that point in 2020. Yeah, we were, we were in Florida and, and we were doing really well. And I think we were, you know, en route to being part of the, of the team selected for Tokyo, certainly uh, shortlisted for it. And uh, yeah, he, he sustained a, a soft tissue injury, unfortunately, just uh, 
you know, fluke of training. It is what it is, but it did. It, it stopped us from being able to finish the season. If there's a silver lining in anything, COVID hit and, and everything kind of shut down. And so in that time, uh, DJ healed and, and we got back into full swing and we were able to try again for the postponed Olympics, which, which, you know, I don't certainly didn't want the pandemic for anybody, but if there was a silver lining for us, that was it. And so we did get to come back and try again and ended up becoming the reserve for Tokyo, which was phenomenal. Absolutely. I mean, I, I feel like it'd be so interesting for you to kind of look back at your thought process and just, man, like how cruel the sport can be sometimes that you're like putting in all this effort and this investment and this time to go towards something so great as the Olympic Games. And then looking back now after, you know, being able to be a part of that experience, but it's just, it's just crazy how time works sometimes. And it sure does. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Tell me a little bit about the uh, Tokyo experience. So for me, it was my first Olympic experience ever as a, as a, certainly as a competitor, I'd, I'd been on a nation's cup team in Europe uh, a few times with, with DJ. And so I had the experience of riding for a team, but gosh, nothing, nothing could have prepared me for how different being at the Olympics was um, be quarantined in Aachen for nearly two weeks for pre-export mm. or before going to Tokyo. So we were there with almost all of the other competitors from around the world doing the same thing. And so we had a sense of, gosh, are we at the Olympics already? Because everybody kind of joked, we got to see wow. all the team. We got to see every other team train and, 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 and prepare, and you got to see all the riders, et cetera. So I kind of like, oh, well, this is it. We've already seen it all. But then we got to Tokyo and you walk into the venue and you walk into that stadium for the first time and you just see what an enormous undertaking the Olympics is. And yeah, you just, you just can't describe it at all. It's like going to the, you get, like you can't take a picture of the Grand Canyon and, and tell somebody what it's really like. Mm -hmm. Like you have to see it in person to really soak it all in. It was, it was, wow. remarkable. yeah. And that That's was, with, and that was without, you know, spectators and the normal energy because of COVID. So I can't even imagine what it would be like with full stadiums, full of people, et cetera. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Tell me, let's talk a little bit about your mindset during the the time of 2020 and 2021. What was, how did you handle a setback so, you know, significant to your career like that? And then what was your process like getting DJ back in form? Not only just that he was sound and could compete again, but at the highest level. I think for me, my, my strength is that, when I go down center line, I don't know how I do it or why it happens, but I'm able to just focus and shut everything else out. It's everything leading up to that moment I go down center line that I struggle with. And uh, I used to do a theater in, in school and, and, and was terrible in auditions, was, uh, you know, couldn't, couldn't capture the, 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 the calm to be able to do it. But, but then I would get cast and somehow I could memorize an entire play in like one night, never missed a line. And then I'd go on stage and like this calm just took over me. And that's, that's how I compete as well, but I'm a complete mess leading up to it. You know, I feel nervous. And so that, so I, I was dealing with all of that. And again, I relied on my support team to, to kind of help me keep my confidence going up until the time I went down center line. And, and I, I look back now and I look back at the Olympic experience and I think, God, if I made it this far still, 
struggling with my, my, my confidence and my fear and my anxiety. What could I do if I could really, you know, get control of it? So that's also motivational for me as I keep pushing forward in this sport. Okay, so I have a question for you listening because I honestly used to dread having to get prescriptions filled for my animals. Does the idea of having to re-up your prescriptions give you anxiety? I used to be the same way, but then I started shopping at FarmVet. They make it so easy to get my prescriptions filled. All I have to do is order online and they do the rest. On top of making your prescription buying hassle-free, they also have a very knowledgeable staff that I can bounce things off of when I'm questioning a supplement my horse is currently using or considering trying some new. Plus, I love how easy it is to set up and manage auto shipments, so I know my horses always have what they need when they need it. Whether you're shopping online or over the phone, which I've also done all the time because it's super quick, you'll get free shipping on all of your orders over $79. Thinking about giving them a try? You can use my code MYEQUESTRIANSTYLE to get 10% off your first order. Check out FarmVet at farmvet.com. That's F-A-R-M-V-E-T.com. Again, that is 10% off your order by using code MYEQUESTRIANSTYLE. Some restrictions do apply, like prescriptions and price-protected brands, so make sure you see store for details. Thank you so much, FarmVet. All right, let's get back to the episode. How do you feel like this whole experience of your career, I guess, in general, but especially in the last couple years, has helped you become not only a better rider, but also the other part of your business as a trainer. So I will say, I think having had those two accidents on DJ made me a better rider in a lot of ways. I think, I think it, it took away some, some of my initial ability to be, be productive on a horse just because I was riding out of just fear. But now that I'm here and where I'm at now, I think I am a better rider because I have so much more respect for the horse and, and, and more respect for other riders that have told me in the past that they're, that they're afraid. And because I didn't know what fear was, I, I, I maybe I wasn't as in tune to being the most uh, uh, encouraging or helping them find ways through those issues. And instead of just being like, come on, just get through it. Let's go. It's not going to, nothing's going to happen. And Mm -hmm. then realizing now, you know what, there's a chance something could happen and, 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 and taking it from a different perspective makes you a more sensitive and a more, I think, well-rounded trainer. So I, I just think, I just think it stopped me thinking that I was invincible and it really made me think about other ways and, 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 and more of the psychology of the horse. And so I really value and I really cherish that newfound appreciation for where I'm at as a trainer and a rider. Yeah, that's amazing. I think that just in general, this I'm sure has helped just your, your overall outlook, but I feel like your positivity has definitely allowed you to keep moving forward and kind of set your sights on, you know, looking ahead and what you can, you know, change or improve upon going forward. Speaking of goals, what can we kind of expect from you and your string of horses in the remainder of this year? So unfortunately, California kind of got hit with that EHV outbreak and Mm -hmm. stopped our our, our shows for about six weeks. Um, I was planning on showing DJ for the first time since Tokyo, actually this weekend, coming weekend, but uh, that show had been canceled. So I have my first CDI with DJ the first weekend in May. So I'm very excited about that. We'll see how that goes. And, And I think there's a 
a chance that if, if we are in top form and, and, and prove ourselves to be back in the swing of things, we might get asked to go to Europe as one of the shortlisted riders for the world championships in Denmark this summer. So um, that's, that's one of the things I'm, I'm looking forward to. Um, I also have a follow-up horse I've been competing uh, named Heathcliff. And so he's, we're trying to qualify him for the festival of champions uh, this summer in August as well. So we'll, we have a lot of things in August. I'm not sure I can do both, but we'll see how it all pans out. <laughs> and then uh, I also have just acquired through a generous sponsor of mine, two really phenomenal younger horses that I'm really excited about. One just came over in December and one is actually coming over from Europe uh, next week. Both were stallions and they were gelded. And so now they just took time for them to recover from their being gelded and, and get back in shape, but they're going to be here. So I I'm very excited to spend some time developing them and, and seeing what their future holds. So I'm wow, yeah. yeah, exciting time. Very much so. That's awesome. Um, with being a month out, I don't mean to freak you out. You have a month before <laughs> before you compete again. What does that look like for you and DJ for your training program, what you're doing at home, what he's doing to prepare for this event? Yeah. So it's funny. It, the month, a month out is usually when I start shifting my mindset into, okay, we have, you know, a test to go do in a month. Mm-hmm. And so you start, you know, I don't change a whole lot of, of the type of work I'm doing. I think you just become more focused on movements or, or sections out of the test. So, so, you know, every day uh, uh, I'll throw in, I'll, I'll say, okay, today, let's just Instead of just doing, you know, a half pass to the left, let's let's throw it in into the from the letter to the letter that we're supposed to do it in. So so you just start getting him and and myself ready to make those lines again. And the and I'm one of again everybody's different. I'm one of the riders that doesn't drill the test quite a bit. Um, that's just never been my thing. And and um, I I like to know how each individual movement feels. But I just don't, uh, it's not like you say, okay, have a month every day, we're going to do the test every single day. Mm-hmm. That's just not how I am. But I definitely gear more up towards, okay, is this the frame I'm going to have him in? Is this the tempo I want to ride him in? You know, if, if I, if I, if I do that half pass and then have to do my, my changes right afterwards, what is he feeling like in the corner? So I can start making adjustments. And that's kind of how I, I operate. And I honestly, I, I work a lot on my own. And so I video every, every single one of my rides with the Pixum camera. And then I come home and I review all of my rides for that day and, and pick myself apart. I'm my own critic and say, okay, what needs to be better? What can I do? Mm. So, but that's about it. I'm in the hunter jumper world, so I'm not super familiar with the intricacies of dressage, but I would imagine going through the test day in and day out leading up to an event. It's kind of like when you're jumping the same course at home, the horse kind of sometimes goes on autopilot because they know exactly where they're going. Do you find that that's kind of the reason behind why you try to keep it kind of in pieces so that it's uh, you know fresh and the horse doesn't go on autopilot through the different tests or what, what's kind of the reason behind the strategy for preparing? Absolutely. I think, I think there's a very fine line between the horse taking over and anticipating and the horse not being familiar enough to feel comfortable. And I think that's, Mm -hmm. every horse is going to be a little different. And so for DJ, for example, I mean, we haven't shown the Grand Prix since June of last year, I turned down the center line 
and he already knows what I'm going to be doing. Uh-huh. And so when you have a horse like that, then you right. Then they are so comfortable with the lines you've already taught them. There's no reason to drill it, but other times, you know, you want your horse to take a deep breath and go Eve's because even if something isn't going great, let's say in the contact or they spooked at something and you still have to make that diagonal, at least they know what those lines are. So I think as the rider, you have to decide how much familiarity your horse needs with it to feel comfortable and then, and then leave it alone. And most of the time, I think we drill and drill and drill because of our own, as the rider, our own not feeling prepared. And that's unfortunately what ends up messing. And, and that's what I try to convey to my students who are, are learning I'm like, I know you want to keep doing it and doing it and doing it, but that's not how you get better, right? You you got to do what you're supposed to do, realize something didn't go great, and then go back and figure out why it didn't go great, not not keep. So it's it's a it's a balance. It's a it's a forever. Definitely. What do you like to do? Obviously, it sounds like you have a really good memory that you can you know, like figure out a test or like what you were saying, like lines mm-hmm. when you were growing up and, and pretty much know that for someone who maybe struggles learning or memorizing their test, but doesn't and shouldn't, you know, drill that into the horse day in and day out and over practice the horse. What are ways that they can continue to really learn and understand their test? Find a big space and skip around on your own two feet and, <laughs> yeah. and do your tests. I mean, honestly, I've done, I think we've all done that, but that's, that's the best way. Block everything else, block everything else out, shut your eyes and don't be afraid of making a fool of yourself and skip down center line, trot up center line, do an yep. extended right. And just, just know the pattern so well. That's, that's the best way to do it without putting the wear and tear on your horse. What is something in the industry that you are really passionate about, but you feel like people either just don't know a lot about or don't talk enough about? Gosh, you know, I think we've already touched upon it. For me, it really is the element of, of injury and, and the psychological impact of that, especially for top athletes. And I would imagine it spans, you know, every, every sport genre, but I think Mm -hmm. for the, for me, I can only speak from the horses, but, you know, as somebody who has now been on the Olympic team and is striving to do more and, and feel like I still have a lot more to go in me and feel like I have a lot to offer. And I've got the, you know, I've got everything going for me and I just have this one darn, you know, hurdle that I keep finding myself butting up against. And I just, I think, I think it's gotta be more of an accepted thing to talk about. And, um, you know, and I, and I know privately, a lot of people have reached out to me and thanked me for being open and candid about it. Cause as trainers, I think we're seen to be, well, go, well everybody's supposed to just get on the difficult horse and everybody mm-hmm. other people's problems. And, and, and not only does our livelihood depend on not getting hurt, but you know, it also, it does, like it says, it's really impacted my uh, self-confidence. So I just think there's gotta be more of a discussion about that, more of a, of a open dialogue and, and, and maybe a, a support or gosh, you know, if someone's struggling that, that, so for me, for example, I'll give you a concrete example, like the honor rounds have really been an issue for me, especially on DJ, because mm-hmm. when I have to go in there and, and, and do the lap of honor and get, and everyone's cheering and screaming, and I know it's all part of it, but I get white knuckled and like, I literally feel sick. And because I start to feel that swell of energy underneath me and, and though, and though he's never done anything, there are things like that, that I, that I wish could, there could be a talk about it being optional, or, or maybe the rider can go in on foot and just hand walk mm. the horse in and, and not have there be a stigma about, 
gosh, there's something wrong or there's something wrong with, with his horse. And, and, oh, just, yeah. and just realize, you know, this is, we're all, our goal is to perform as harmoniously as possible for those six minutes in the arena. And, and somebody coming in with severe anxiety is not going to be able to do that. And I'm already thinking about the honor rounds. I'm like, okay, great. We just did great. But that means I got to <laughs> an hour and get a ribbon. And I'm already like, you know, ready to, to throw up. So, right. you know, I, I, I used to be afraid to say all this, but I, I really do feel like there's a, a psychological element to sport that we don't talk enough about. Right. Right. And it's just, it just goes back to that stigma that, as a professional, there's the, there are these certain things that you just don't talk about in fear of coming across like you don't know everything or you aren't capable of anything. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we are all humans with insecurities and past experiences that have shaped us to how we think through things and being able to continue to talk about how that no one's ever going to be at a point in our sport where they have arrived and they're winning every single time and the horses are going perfectly every single time. There's just way too many factors in our sport where it just doesn't turn out that way. And so just that that idea of, you know, continuing to be consistent in this sport as much as possible instead of, you know, expecting perfection every time. I think if we continue to talk about that too, that that will just help open doors to more people feeling like they can one talk about it, but to be okay with the, with the days where things don't always go perfect to plan. Absolutely. The last thing I would add is in that element, people always say, gosh, am I ready to show? And I said, if you're, are you ready to show if you're ready to learn, right? Cause in, in, right. In, unless you're going to a championship and that day matters, go to the show. And, and, and it's a, just another educational part of you and your horse's journey. And, and you have to be just like you were saying, you have to be okay with the, with the moments that you win and you have to be okay with the moments that you don't win. And you learn from both. Right. I think even the Olympic games, like I get that that's the biggest, you know, venue, but that still is a learning experience and you still, you know what I mean? It doesn't have to, there, there's never going to be a point in anyone's career where where you're like, this is it. There is nothing after this. Like if I don't, if I'm not perfect, this I'm done, you know? So I think that just having that expectation on ourselves, but also being able to talk about that is going to um, really I think shape our our uh, discipline and our our sport in a more positive direction. I agree, hundred percent. Well, Nick, thank you so much for taking the time to come on, and I really appreciate your positivity and your honesty and your resilience uh, through your career, and continue uh, to love watching you grow. And I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.